1: all right guys welcome to bear archery's hunting 101 podcast as always presented by our good friends over at Scentlock. um we're talking optics we're talking out west um we're talking uh kind of what to look for in a in a good set or pair of optics and what i mean by that is um the 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 correlation between a spotting scope and binoculars and, and what might you run uh depending on where you're going um i've got he says he's just the optics editor, but I like to refer to him as Chief Executive Optics Editor, Andrew McKean. Andrew, how are you, man?
2: I'm pretty good. It's a beautiful day in Eastern Montana. Is it too hot? Not yet. Actually, it's uh, we got a cold front coming through. I think we're we have been locked in this drought, like it's not going to let go. But we got two inches of rain last weekend. We're getting more rain tomorrow. I'm a happy man.
1: Yeah, uh, it's 96 here in Kansas, so I'm not happy. I I was feeding the dog this morning at 8 a.m. And I shot my bow a little bit and I was drenched in sweat. And I'm like, it's 8 a.m. How is this even possible?
2: It was 46 degrees here this morning at 8 a.m.
1: God. <laughs> yeah, we were in Salt Lake. Me and Darren were in Salt Lake last weekend. And that's about how it was, you know, in the mornings. 45 to 50 felt amazing. And then, you know, high of like 70. And it was beautiful. And then I came back home and I'm miserable. Should have stayed out west. I should have. We got Darren Cooper. Darren uh, is the owner of Rent Outdoor Gear, um, which uh, we'll we'll dive into a little bit, but really gives you the opportunity to use high-end optics. Um, I remember the first time I decided to buy optics and I'm like, good Lord, this is like taking out a car loan. Um, And so um, we'll talk about the importance of, of why people can do that. Darren, how are you, man?
0: Good, good. Glad to be here. Thanks for
1: having me absolutely well let's just dive in uh, we got a lot to kind of uncover in the optics world um, and, and i want to start with 101 like optics 101 um, for people who who don't understand optics or they don't understand maybe they're headed out west for the first time and and it's a big undertaking to figure out what i need and why um, so Andrew walk us through kind of understanding optics as far as you know eight by 42s or 10 by 44s or, or or all that good stuff. Walk us through how to really understand and digest what we're looking at when we're looking at optics.
2: Oh man, how much time do we
1: have? You're <laughs> the one that has the hard stop. You tell <laughs> me. Um,
2: the reason I ask the question is, I mean, you can dive into this. Um, it's not even a rabbit hole. It's like a sewer manhole into the the variations of around optics. But I think to the point of your question is the numbers are, once you get over the, the numeric hurdle of what do these configurations mean, I think that's that sort of starts to open up a world of being more selective about what you need. So if you look at binoculars alone, it's just that category. The, the two numbers that you're gonna encounter are, let's just take the 10 by 42, which is you know kind of the, the baseline standard for a lot of a walkabout hunter. The 10 in that number is the magnification. The 42 in that number is the size of the objective lens um, in millimeters. So it's a 10 power by 42 millimeter uh, binocular. For, I'm eager to get Darren's take on this too, um, but for a, a, a lot of the Western hunters, that's that's a good all around magnification and kind of configuration. You've got enough reach with that 10 power to, to be able to see distant objects. And you've got that 42 millimeters big enough to let a lot of light into the image, but it's also small enough that you can easily carry it around your neck or in a chest harness. You know, a lot of Western hunters, especially those who are sitting and glassing from a promontory might opt for higher magnification. That's where the 15 power by the a bigger 56 millimeter comes in. Um, that's really, I see that a lot for that Southwestern sort of coos deer hunter or somebody who's not going to be walking as much as you might if you're you know, walking and stalking for mule deer or for an an archery elk hunter. The other thing I would say is going down in size. This is, uh, for me personally, as a bow hunter, I do a lot of one-handed glassing. The thing with magnification is you get, increase the magnification, you also, the image size increases to the degree that you can really start to see shaking and vibration of the image um, with the higher magnifications. So if you're a one-handed glasser like me, I've got one hand occupied with my bow, typically. I've got one hand with a a binocular that I I wanna be able to stabilize the image. So I'm looking at a seven or an eight power in that case and a little bit of a smaller objective lens because I don't want it to be in the way if I draw a bow. So that eight by 32, eight by 30 is a perfect configuration for me as an archery hunter. Darren, what's your take on that?
1: So just so everybody knows, this is the the second ever video podcast that we've done on Bear. So, uh, you can head over to YouTube and watch this. Um, and so I've got my pair of binoculars here. So what Andrew is saying here is the lens here. Th- this is a pair of ten point five by forty fours. The lens here is forty four millimeters, um, and then the overall zoom of the binocular. What I guess that's the word you use um, is ten point five. So you see things ten point five times bigger or closer how do you how do you phrase that
2: i, I say bigger because it, the magnification to me it's easier to sort of articulate it to say it's a lar- it's enlarging the image 10 times
1: gotcha so if you're looking at something that's one inch in diameter it would look as though through the binoculars that it's 10.5 inches in diameter
2: fair enough i mean we can get into kind of some of the uh yeah, that's a good way. I don't want to confuse anybody. I'm going to go with that.
1: It, it would depend on how far you're looking at it versus. And, and one of the things with binoculars, you
2: mentioned zoom range. Typically with binoculars, we've got fixed um, magnification. When you talk, we'll talk spotting scopes later. Then you've got a zoom range uh, also with rifle scopes with a variable power. You can zoom from the lowest magnification to the higher magnifications. Um, but binoculars, the nice thing about them is their simplicity they're a fixed focus or a fixed magnification and and, a, and and then everything else happens sort of inside in terms of the focus
1: Aaron, yeah, what's your this. take on the uh the overall what i want out of a pair of binoculars
0: um well andrew andrew alluded to the uh you know the 10 power being kind of the industry or at least the western Hunter's, uh, kind of favorite magnification. That is a great place to start. It's a good do it all power range. Um, as far as features that, that you're looking for in a binocular, um, you know, you're looking for great edge to edge clarity, you know, high quality glass. That's going to give you a, a true to life image in terms of color. Um, you know, minimum, uh, aberrations and distortions of the image, you know, you want clear edges, you want, you know, um, colors to represent what you're seeing with the naked eye, so that you can better discern, um, you know, the difference between a gray mule deer and a, you know, gray granite boulder, you know, things like that. Um, so that's definitely gonna, um, help you out, um, but a bright image. So that's kind of a, you know, back to what Andrew was talking about, that's balancing your power to your size of your ob- objective. So a larger ob- objective is going to give you a much brighter image, better performance at first and last light. Um, but good ar- ergonomics, um, good warranty, you know, these are all things that kind of factor into, um, you know, what what you want in a, in a good optic or a good binocular for hunting. So, so field of view now. is another important factor that, you know, at one point in time we thought, well, your objective size and your power, pretty much defined what your field of view is. but uh, today we're seeing some some new optics out there that are kind of stretching the limits of what we thought was possible in the past. So today we're seeing optics from Surosky where you've got a 10 power binocular that has a field of view that's equivalent to what an 8 power or a 12 power that you see as much as you do with a 10 power. So kind of you know making us reevaluate what is the perfect you know power for hunting in the West nowadays
1: now i well before i ask my next question let me just say this i probably have a little more of a uh an eastern mindset than you gentlemen uh my go-to is the 10.5 by 44s uh, but i hunt quite a bit in arkansas and you're in thick timber you're not going to see there's no need for 10.5s so i would drop down to like an eight um uh, i bear hunt in maine and you'll see 40 yards maybe Um, and so I dropped down even like a six and that's really just for, you know, if a bear comes in to start, you know, getting a better look at it a little bit closer. Uh, not that I can't see it because again, you don't see them to their F 40 yards when you're in the North main woods, but, um, you know, to take a closer look at them. Um, and so I never really go above 10.5s. And I think Andrew, the reason you mentioned going up to like the 15, um, do you think that it's a fair assessment to say guys who go up to a 15, uh, they're kind of eliminating the need for a spotter as well. Um, they're trying to just have that one pair of optics, uh, or would you say the guys that carry 15 still, you know, pop out a tripod and put a, a spotter on it? To answer
2: that easily, I would say it's the latter is more frequent that they have a spotting scope right there. The beautiful thing about, a a high magnification 15 or 18 power binocular is the both eyes open aspect of glassing. You know, you've got the binocular vision, where you've got both your eyes uh, employed, you're not squinting with one eye into the monocular of a spotting scope, which can be pretty fatiguing after a while. Yeah. So if you're going to spend a lot of time panning, and, and, and glassing for small details over large landscapes, binoculars allow you to spend a lot more time behind glass. And there's something that Darren mentioned, the ergonomics, you know, we've been doing um, optics testing for a long time, number of years. And one of the things I really see, you know, we, we tend to to measure things a lot when it comes to optics testing, what's the optical resolution, how fine a detail can you see? How bright is the image? How late into the night can you see? But I, I maintain after years of doing this, that really one of the, one of the most important considerations is kind of a squishy one. It's it's hard to quantify, but it's how comfortable is that binocular? Because the more comfortable it is, the more time you're going to spend behind it. And consequently, the more you're going to see because you're using it more. And I think that's a really important thing.
1: My favorite thing about yeah. you is the words you come up to describe squishy. It's a squishy <laughs> subject. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things about Andrew McKean. He always has those nice words that he uses to describe situations. Yeah, i okay. still i am a big fan of on gravel and and your words that you come up with are the only reason i listen
2: not, <laughs> okay well
1: not made up words but just different words to describe a situation i love it
2: um darren what's your take on that just the kind of the the comfort factor
1: yeah
0: well i think it's huge and and my favorite part of what you just mentioned was um you know, if you have an optic that works really well for you, you're gonna spend more time with it. And that alone is gonna, you know, help you locate more animals and, and just be a more successful hunter. Um, and that's why, you know, for one, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, should I upgrade my spotter or, or should I get a, a, a pair of binos, you know, or upgrade my binos? That's one of the most common questions I get. And most people spend, you know, of their time looking through the binoculars. And so I usually, you know, try to get guys to, to uh, work on the binoculars first, if they've got, you know, low end in both, or maybe even don't have a spotter yet, you know, it's like get a really good set of binoculars because that's where you're going to spend most of your time um, glassing with. And then, you know, a lot of guys use a spotting scope mainly to field judge something or to look at, look closer at an animal they've already found, you know, if they've exhausted the mountain and, haven't found anything, then you might break out the spotter and really start picking apart, you know, some brushy draws and things like that in order to locate animals. But, um, but that comfort, you know, and, and glassing comfort is, you know, and carrying comfort are two different things, but something that you can look through for long periods of time without fatigue is, is really important to, you know, being a successful glasser because it's seat time and, you know, eyeball time that uh, makes a big difference you got to be dedicated and it's you know not everybody's cut out for it just like tree stands you know i have a hard time sitting in a tree stand and and granted with practice you get better at that too but uh you know glassing is is a hard concept for a lot of people they want to you know walk around and go hike and kick deer out of the brush and stuff but um if you can dedicate yourself to it you're definitely going to find more animals
1: now, one of the biggest mis—you just mentioned tree stand. One of the biggest misconceptions I've ever heard is, "I'm a tree stand hunter in Kansas," or, or "I'm a tree stand hunter in Missouri," or whatever. I don't carry binoculars, or I don't put a lot of effort, I don't put a lot of thought in my binoculars, or I don't put a lot of money in my binoculars. Um, that's one of the biggest—I don't, I guess, misconception is the word. Um, but I can't tell you how much more successful I've been. Uh, and looking, say I'm looking across a wheat field and I can see into the other woods and with a pair of binoculars, I can see into the shadows and in the darkness of the other side of the, the field. And I can see deer before they get into the field. Um, and they no longer pop up and sneak up on me. And pretty much if I'm sitting in the tree stand, you know, as a kid, I used to just sit and wait and then they would get there and I would be stuck in a frenzy trying to get my bow ready, trying to get whatever. Uh, but now I just sit in glass constantly in my tree stand. Um, and I, I'll use a little, uh, like a little monopod, um, just on the, on the foot of my tree stand that way I don't have to to hold my binoculars all day and it's a little more comfortable, but, and I'm constantly just looking through the woods, uh, no matter how far I'm looking, I'm just looking into the woods and I'll see those deer a lot quicker than I used to. Uh, so I would say if you're a tree stand hunter, uh, for whitetails, you know, in the East or Midwest, don't just write off optics. Don't just say, I'm not headed out west. I don't need optics. Uh, because they still, in my opinion, play a huge role in the successfulness of, of a hunt.
2: Actually, uh, I think there's two really important considerations there. One is I I grew up in the heavy woods of Missouri. and That's
1: right. I forgot about that.
2: Yeah. And not super heavy woods, but it was kind of that mixed, you know, uh, open ridges, but, but wood, uh, hardwoods draws. And we didn't hunt a ton of public land because I grew up on a farm, but you know, anytime I was hunting kind of the edge of the farm, I would encounter other hunters, especially during rifle season. And Mm -hmm. I can't tell you the number of times I would look at another hunter through my binoculars and see that they were looking back at me through their rifle scopes. Oh, and that is a really chilling image to have. Yeah. I see it out West quite a bit too. people who are using their rifle scopes as a as a panning optic. And it's just, it's not only super dangerous, but it's, it's, it's also kind of, it's pretty irresponsible. Um, yeah. And you're also limited. Um, obviously the whole idea of, you know, gun safety, don't point your gun at something you don't intend to shoot. But the other thing you mentioned about that tree stand optic uh, habit is binoculars, especially that have a uh, fine focus are really useful for a tree stand because mm-hmm. the the, the focal plane is fairly shallow. So you can kind of riff through different distances and get a hard focus on things that um, with binoculars that have a really wide focal plane where lots of things are in focus at once it may be useful out West, but in the Midwest and in tight cover, you want a binocular that can really sort of shave the different distances with hard focus at each one of those. And it's amazing the amount of wildlife and other things that you yeah. see. With that.
1: It makes sitting in a tree stand a lot more, Entertaining, a lot more uh, enjoyable. Um, yeah, you see a lot more game, see a lot more um squirrels, rabbits, everything. Um, before we go on, I gotta give a quick thank you to our friends over at NZ Campers. That's E N Z Y Campers. Uh, I believe Andrew got to see those uh at the Pope and Young convention. They are custom-built campers for hunters by hunters. Uh, they have some incredible hunting features built in, boot dryers, meat storage, uh, scent-free cabinets. They are phenomenal. I would highly recommend you to go check out NZ campers, especially if you're in the market for a camper. Um, now, Darren, you alluded to this and, and you talked about kind of what to look for in a pair of binoculars. My question, if you pick up a, a pair of Koas or a pair of uh, Swarros or, or another high end binocular and all you've looked through is, you know, $40 binoculars from Academy, it's easy to tell the difference. You're like, Oh wow, those are phenomenal. Um, but, somebody walks into Cabela's and I know that's not the best scenario to find good optics, but sadly, that's what most people do. So they walk into Cabela's with the mindset of buying a new pair of binoculars. The moment they look through binoculars, what should they be looking for and what should they be looking for as a red flag? Um, Like what are the, what are the pros that somebody needs to look for in binoculars and what are the cons that they need to steer away from in binoculars? Now, Before we go on, that is part of what you do, because the best way you're ever going to find binoculars is to go out and hunt with them, Uh, to look at animals, to look into shadows, to look into trees underneath brush. That's the best way. Um, And so you give people that opportunity by renting optics. But for the majority, they're going to walk into a Cabela's, they're going to walk into an SNS archery, they're going to walk into a wherever and just start looking through optics. What should they keep in mind as they try to find optics?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And to be, you know, a hundred percent honest, it is really difficult to discern a whole lot between um, similarly priced and, you know, similar quality optics in a sporting goods store. The conditions are, you know, you're under artificial light. Most of the time you're looking at a very limited distance. You have, um, you know, the lighting is fairly good, fairly even. Most of the time you don't have um, stray sunlight or anything um, shining into your objective lenses. So, so just first and foremost, it's, it's a really poor environment to try to evaluate optics. Um, so the first thing I would recommend um, is to get with the guy behind the optics counter and grab a couple pair that you're interested in. And see if they'll go outside with you and let you at least look um, outside. And I would recommend trying to do that in the morning and the evening when the uh, sun is much lower because you have a um, you're going to see more shadows. You're going to see um, you're going to have the opportunity to look more into the sun at objects and with the sun at your back, and then looking into the sun because that can really change things. You're, optic coatings really come into play at that point in time and how they handle straight light rays. Does it cause a big sun flare in the lens and everything looks like you're looking through fog at that point, or does that coating effectively handle, um, you know, sun rays and things like that. So, and then, you know, spend a couple of, take a couple of trips, you know, try under different, different, uh, lighting conditions, you know, like I said, in the morning and then maybe go on a rainy overcast day and see how things look and, um, you know, focus on looking into shadows and, and high contrast and, you know, environments where you'll have really sunny, you know, bright object, and then try to see what you can discern in the shadows in that same scene. And, you know, look at things like that, because that's what you're going to be doing out in the field, trying to find a buck back in a hole, uh, where the shadows are. So just think about that while you're looking at those optics and try to be, um, as cognizant as you can about how you're actually going to use them in the field and then try to replicate that but um, it's very difficult and that's that is really why you know we do kind of what we do which is rent optics and we'll even rent you side-by-side optics you can rent two pairs of binoculars take them out on a scouting trip you know and ideally another thing i didn't mention but if you can get them on a tripod so that they're steady um, you're going to be able to see a heck of a lot more about what's going on and what you're seeing because there's no shake happening that you know it's hard to tell exactly how perfectly you know they resolve an image or you know if you're looking at a sign across you know three parking lots or whatever when you're in the when you're outside with the optics guy if they're moving around you're not going to really be able to discern how much better or worse you know, optic A is versus optic B unless they're on a tripod perfectly still. So, um, that's another thing that, you know, if you can bring your own tripod, if you have to, um, you know, at least balance them on there and get them as steady as possible. Cause it's, it's really critical to, uh, evaluating optics is get them to st- to be perfectly steady.
1: I feel like you have something you want to throw in there, Andrew
2: no I, I think that i mean that's that really covered it really nicely it's it, as darren said that the worst environment in the world is you know under the ink or the fluorescent lights of a big box store just because uh it's as unnatural as you're ever going to get um the other thing i might add to that is to take your own sort of chest harness and see how it carries to assess that kind of the that's non-visual good. sort of comfort level too and, and yeah
1: because um, i have gotten a new pair of binoculars and then you know, all of a sudden they just flop around inside my harness and now I got to buy a new harness or vice versa. They don't even fit, you are know, like crap. Um, you know, everything I like about what I've been running no longer works. Um, so yeah, that's a, a good, all right, let's move on to uh spotters. I've got a, so here I've got a 77 and a 55. Um, what do those numbers mean? Andrew
2: so the, that's the objective lens size, um, just like we were talking about with binoculars, the, the the kind of category. So that 55 would be categorized as a compact or even a subcompact. That's a pretty short throw little spotter right there.
1: Um, and, and your objective lens, just so everybody knows, is the front piece of glass.
2: That's right. So that is, that's fifty 55 millimeters in diameter. Um Typically, what you'll see is for the big full size ones. I actually I've got a couple up here on the window. Is uh, this is a this is an eighty millimeter here? So this is a this is a six hour Oscar. Um, so this is eighty. So this is tip. This is what you would call a. Oops, sorry, I can see it with the fuzziness. It's not really working that well. But this is a full size spotter. Um, and then the other numbers on it is going to be there's going to be a range of numbers. So this one has you define this as a 27 to 80 by 80. And that 27 to 80 in that first range, that's the zoom range we were talking about. That's your magnification range. So it it changes from 27 power to 80 power, which is a lot of magnification through that 80 millimeter lens.
1: So let me see what the 77 is. So what at what point is it considered a full-size spotter?
2: I, I mean, really... Above 65 millimeters, I would say that's kind of the cutoff um, the 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 class that's from 45 to 60 millimeters typically are they're shorter um, they're just smaller more packable but the bigger ones 80 85 there's even 95 and even 105 millimeter those are big, heavy, powerful optics that you're you can pack them but it's they're just not going to be as convenient
1: as that mid size spotter. That's a 25 to 60. Okay, yep. The 30 is, which, so you mentioned compact and light and small, and this 30, I'm sorry, this 55, is my favorite spotter on planet Earth. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, it's so light, throw in a backpack, go anywhere. Um, I absolutely love it. Um, but I want to kind of dive into what is overkill? Well, A, how do you know you're getting enough? And then B, what is just absolute overkill? Um, I learned, I I carried the 77 around on a, on a, uh, bear hunt in Idaho, um, a few years back. And after the hunt, I just realized I'm like, I had way too much spotter for what I needed. Um, which is when I went to the, to the 55. Um, and so how do you know, planning a trip like how do you know the optics i have are enough um and they're not going to be just way overkill i
2: i'll start that but i'm very eager to get darren's take on this because one of the things i notice is maybe it's an american trait it's certainly a hunter trait the more the better the bigger the better um and when it comes to spotting scopes you can have too much uh you have too much magnification I don't know that I would ever say you can have too much objective lens size because that's going to really define the image quality and the image brightness. I would say to select for as big an objective lens size as you're comfortable carrying if you're gonna be a walkabout hunter. But when it comes to that magnification range, what happens when you ramp up the magnification to the maximum is two things happen within the instrument. First is your exit pupil or your the, the ability to see the, the pinpoint of light that you put your eye to in the eyepiece gets very small and it also gets very dark. And so what Darren was saying about testing optics before you buy them in different light conditions really affects your ability to, to discern a spotting scope. Because if you're going to, most spotting scopes look pretty good in the middle of the day because you've got so much light that's coming into the image that you can't really see that darkness as much. But if you get out uh, with a spotting scope at the beginning or the end of the day when there's not that much ambient light and you ramp that magnification all the way to the highest, you're going to be alarmed at how dark that image gets, dark and grainy and just hard to see and resolve. So one of the things that we do in our optics test, we we try to, we, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at a lot of different models at once. And so we're trying to at least put them all on an even plane of evaluation. So we put them on the same magnification. And then you can really start to see differences between the glass and the coatings and the, and the image quality at the same magnification. So if you are going to choose one, that's a pretty handy thing to do with a, any sort of a, a zoom magnification range. Put them at the same magnification so you're really looking at apples to apples. I'll
0: jump in there too on, on that uh, question. And just say that the point when I know that I've got too much glass is when I don't want to pack it anymore, you know? And that's why Andrew, that, or uh, why well, that's that little bitty scope is probably your favorite. And I tell a lot of guys that, that ask me, you know, what, what's the best spotting scope. And I, the thing I always tell them is the, the best spotting scope is the one that you actually have in your pack. So don't over scope yourself, you know, because eventually you're going to leave it in camp and you're going to be up on the mountain wishing wishing that you'd had it and you know kicking yourself in the butt for buying you know way too big of a scope now if you're a guy that you know hunts in the desert southwest or even you know if you do a lot of road hunting and you have glassing points and, and, the, and you know the country works great then by all means you know bigger is optically better typically and you know that, and it's certainly brighter in most cases at least at your base magnification I think mean, people overemphasize that upper end of the magnification range a lot because it's, it's largely unusable. Um, not so much because you can't see the animal better, but generally atmospheric effects start really having a big impact on, on what you see. And, and the best spotting scope in the world isn't any good or isn't a whole lot better than, you know, an average spotting scope. If the heat waves are so bad that, you know, all you're seeing is a mushy image anyway.
1: Now, so. Um, here's, here's a, let me just preference this as well. I run a smaller spotter, uh, because I'm also not the type of guy. So perfect example, uh, Darren, you guys are the title sponsor for the field judging championship that Pope and young puts on. Um, and there's that type of guy that wants to look through the spotter and they're, they're counting every inch before they even make a stock. Uh, you guys like Alan Bolin, uh, you know, Alan, I've heard him talk about you know, he was trying to kill a new world record Blackdale and and he's looking and he's like, ah, it's one Oh seven. I need one Oh nine. And I'm like, really? Like you're, you're getting that particular for you ever make a stock. You know what I mean? I'm not that yeah. type. I, I want to look through a spotter and say, Oh, he's a legal buck. He's a legal bull, whatever. Oh yeah. yeah that's a, you know, that's a, a good bear. Let's roll. I'm not the type that wants to sit behind the spotter and, and, try to count inches and say oh you know i think he's only 140 um yeah, that's just not me um so yeah. i will say that you've got to know what you want out of your optics if you're that type of guy that wants to sit behind optics and 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 look for an hour and a half before you ever consider making a stock on an animal because you're judging uh down to the half inch of trying to get whatever a 165 whatever um then yeah you're probably not going to want run a 55 um that was that would you know you want to go something bigger with more magnification um but again you've got to know what you want out of your optics and that's just not something i do it's not something i need so i don't put that much weight into that i would say there's
2: two other considerations when it comes to spotters too and 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 one is the essential companion to a spotting scope is a tripod you've got to stabilize it. absolutely so if you're, you know, if you're in the market for a, for that, you you'd really want to match them as well as you can. So if you're looking for a walkabout spotting scope, that kind of mid-size or something that they're insane this year, you're, you're going to want to carry, you're also going to want to carry a tripod that size to fit it. So nothing that's going to be too small and flimsy where you don't yeah. effectively dampen the vibrations or not some, not one that's going to be just so much bigger than the optic that you're then not going to want to carry the tripod.
1: Yeah, great might point. I say, great point. Might I say the first uh I went on a bear hunt in Idaho with the guys from SNS. I bought the 77. Um, so I spent thousands of dollars on a spotting scope. And I knew I needed a good tripod, but it wasn't even that. It was just like my wife was done. And so I went to Bass Pro Shop, or not even Bass Pro, uh uh Best Buy and got like a $30, you know, plastic tripod. And so I'm running a 30 dollars dollar plastic tripod with a, you know, $3,000 scope. Uh, needless to say, before I left Idaho, I bought a new tripod.
2: Yeah. The other thing I think is worth looking at, and I'm curious from Darren's standpoint, kind of what his customer base wants, but that's the notion of a an angled eyepiece on a spotting scope or a straight eyepiece. You know, and and I don't have a straight one here handy, but um, the angle typically is a, is a 45 degree Angle between the barrel of the spotting scope and the eyepiece. What that allows you to do is sort of be over it and then look down through it. You can also rotate the barrel and share it with your buddy. And it's just a lot more versatile, but um, it can be hard to to find your target because you're not a straight line of sight looking at your target. Um, Darren, what's your take on the difference?
0: I I personally uh, am a big fan of the angled spotting scope because uh, I hunt a lot of steep, rugged country and finding a good place to set your tripod up and your butt is, it's kind of rare up there. You're sitting on rocks and steep terrain, you kick out a nice spot because usually when I'm sitting down to glass, I'm going to spend some time. And so what, like my favorite aspect of having an, an angled eyepiece is that uh, scope will also rotate. And I wish I had one here in front of me, but as you, I, I can look, 90 degrees to my left and 90 degrees to my right with an angled spotter without necessarily having to move my butt whereas with a straight eyepiece you've got to be behind the scope all the time and you have to do a lot more moving with your body and so I love uh, the angled scope for that it does take a little bit of getting used to as far as pointing it and being able to get on your target quickly and a lot of guys are a little bit intimidated by that when they're you know talking about getting their first spotter but the other thing i like about an angled spotter is i can keep my tripod lower generally because i'm looking down into it um most of the time and that just keeps it out of the wind more keeps it lower i don't need as tall of a tripod so i can save a little bit of weight and just be a little more steady so all those aspects you know are why i prefer an angled spotter but it's uh you know i I know a lot of experienced hunters that also like straight scopes but it's they, they work great for me but uh, if you do a lot of stand up glassing and you have to walk around, you know, you're on a high point and, and uh you want to walk around behind your your spotter and then maybe a straight scope is, you know, better for your situation.
2: I like spotters too or the angled spotting scope for a couple of reasons. One I mentioned if I'm hunting with one of my kids or somebody, I can easily rotate that barrel and share the image without having to physically move the scope off the target. Yeah. Um and the second thing is, boy, in close quarters, I've even tried here. You can actually go the other way and be below your scope. Uh, if, you're, yeah. if, if you're trying to look over a, a ridgeline of something and you don't want to show yourself. Yeah. Um, have you ever used, uh, I think Burris has got that um, ability to put a red dot site on the, on the side of their spotting scope so that you can actually use the red dot to, to orient to your target. And then yeah. it matches up with the, the focal plane of the, of the scope.
0: Yeah. I've That's a cool feature. Yeah. Yeah. Like Serovsky's got a little, I don't know, it's almost like a kaleidoscope deal that you look through and it you can't actually see through it, but you, you get it lined up with your target and then you can jump in there and, and be lined up. But, and I think that helps guys get over that hump when they first start using an angled scope and be able to find stuff a little more efficiently. But after a while, you you don't need it. You know, you you get accustomed to pointing it in the right direction and you'll be on target. So.
1: Now, last question I got um, to really cover is, what's the best combo as far as like binos to to spotter? Um, And that's a loaded question. That's a hard question. Uh, But let's just generally talk. Uh, mule deer you're going on a mule deer hunt in Colorado like what would be the best combo that one might look for as far as their spotting scope in correlation to their to their binoculars
2: you're talking configurations or are you talking when I mean, we want to get as granular as talking brands and and, and models or what do you um,
1: think just just yeah configurations keeping it super general um, as far as you know like I said 10.5 by 44 and you said you know, 10 by 42s is a really good, just general all around workhorse of a binocular. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, what what might somebody want to to jump between?
2: I'll kick it off um, with a couple of variations. So I would probably go with that 10 by 42 as my main binocular. Um, something that's standard size, nothing, nothing too outlandish in terms of the frame or a chassis size. Um, and then assuming I'm going to be walking and hiking quite a bit, I would go for probably a 65 millimeter spotting scope. So something in that 25 to 45 to 50 power by 65, probably the way I would go. The one variation I would say on this, and and Darren kind of alluded to this earlier, is I've fell in love this past year with uh, 12 by 42 Swarovski NL Pures. So it's 12 power in a frame that's even smaller than most 10 by 42s. And they've got a real ergonomic sort of hourglass shaped barrel that, that is really, that I can lock my hands into and really stabilize it. So for open country, uh, that's a really good binocular to, to have. you got a little more power and you can stabilize it really nicely.
0: Yeah, I would agree hundred percent. I think that's a great combo for for most hunting conditions. and you know, it's always nice to be able to match, you know, your exact hunt and what you're planning on doing to the optics that you're bringing. But I think you can cover almost any situation effectively with, you know, 10 by 42s and a 65 millimeter scope. It might not be ideal for a, you know, every hunt where, you know, if, if you're not going to be hiking that much and, you know, you're going to be spending a lot more time behind the glass and, you know, maybe something bigger would would make more sense. But I think that's kind of the you know, go-to combo for, to get you started in, in Western hunting. And then as, as you evolve and do more trips and whatnot, you could, you know, look at, at more fringe optics, like a 15 by 56 or something like that. If you're hunting more open country or a bigger spot or a BTX, you know, on your, on your spotting scope, which is a binocular um, eyepiece that goes on this Roski, uh X series spotter. So, um, but yeah, you nailed it.
1: Now, um, here's a here's a tough one for you. I don't care who takes it. Somebody's got two hundred bucks. What's the best pair of binoculars they should buy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I'll I'll kick it off, I guess. Um, Darren mentioned this earlier, and I think it's a really important consideration when we're talking about this class of optics, and that's what what does the warranty look like? Um, because You're gonna you're you're giving up a couple of things with a price point binocular. You're gonna gonna give up optical quality and kind of the the class of glass as well as coatings. But you're also gonna give up a little of the workmanship. I mean, these are, you know, binoculars are precision instruments. And and while you can still have good focus and internal controls, they're just not gonna. In order to achieve that price point, they're gonna take some shortcuts. Whether it's with the the weatherproofness of it, the durability of it, the components, so those are just things to be mindful of. Warranty is really important. I mean, Vortex has got the warranty side of that of the world nailed. I mean, I think they were kind of the originators of that fully transferable, no questions asked, transferable warranty, lifetime transferable warranty. You know, in the the Diamondback, uh class of of Vortex is is one to look at. I'd have to kind of look at that price point. I think there's also a An even lower vortex to to consider. there at that two hundred dollar level, but it is certainly possible. Uh, And there's an awful lot of our my readers and Darren's customers who are they're constrained by price and optics are expensive. So to me, a two hundred dollar pair of binoculars is way better than no binocular at all.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Another option. Um, Shameless plug, but you could rent a really really nice binocular (laughs) for a ten day hunt for. Two hundred bucks. So love it. <laughs> that's that's another option and and a great option actually for guys that don't necessarily need, you know, maybe a, uh, you know, maybe you are going on a hunt where you're going to be spending a lot of time looking at long distances and wide open country, and a fifteen by fifty six makes a lot of sense. But you're from back east and you don't need to own something like that. It's another reason that we that we rent them just because it yeah. makes financial sense to, you know, rent it for that one that one off hunt that you're doing. Uh, go ahead and rent that optic and then you know save your money for you know your your set of tens or your eights for back home you know for upgrading those later so
1: very good um now real quick before we um wrap this up one thank you to our friends at Arrow Junkie um Arrow Junkie I met those guys at a mountain archery fest last year and fell in love uh, with what they do, they provide everything that you need to build your own arrows from the tools to do it uh, with saws and, and planers and, and, and you name it um, to jigs and, and all of the components to build your arrows from outserts and knocks and veins and wraps and glues. Um, go check out our friends over at Arrow Junkie uh, because I truly believe that building your own arrows is a lost art and uh, and they're helping you do that. They also build some incredible custom arrows. So if you just want somebody to build your arrows for them, for you, um, they'll do it and they'll do a really, really good job. Uh, before we go, each of you got to give me like your best tip in optics. Um, and I mean like super simple, like um buy a nice tripod. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but like your don't pee in the wind type tip when it comes to optics. Um, something that that I can take and put in my back pocket and make myself a better hunter with.
0: I can kick that off. I got one at the top of my mind and one that I shared with you last weekend at the Pope and Young convention. And, and that's put your binoculars on a tripod, even a pair of eights or tens is going to be far more effective and uh, helping you spot game if you can mount it on a tripod. Uh, we we sell a really slick uh, tripod adapter for uh, binoculars called the Really Right Stuff Cinch LR. Maybe you can show them, Dylan, on screen. Yes, but uh, I can. slick slick little mount that you can put on your binos. It'll fit, adapt to any size of bino. You don't have to have a center stud. It'll work on your laser range binoculars. And it's got an Arca Swiss mount built in, or you can put an adapter plate on the bottom. So it's going to make uh, your glassing a lot more effective.
1: They're normally they're normally uh, forty five bucks. Darren charged me fifty five, but I was <laughs> proud to pay it. So
0: well, that that tip costs an extra fifteen. So yeah,
1: that's what i was paying for.
2: <laughs> I would say the to, to use your binoculars, even when to just to make a habit of using your binoculars at every available moment, Uh, the number of my hunting buddies who don't use their binoculars and walk up and then spook game is astounding to me. I, I tend to, to, to use binoculars, probably I overuse them, but it's also saved me a lot of steps. Um, to me, it's a, it's a, it's an efficiency that I can, basically dispense with or kind of uh rule out areas that i'm not going to hunt i don't have to go walk over there i can really glass them and 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 by glassing you're also slowing everything down i think people hunt too fast and they uh to their detriment so one of the things just even every third or fifth step glassing your approach will make you a better hunter
1: very good guys thank you so much uh for coming on uh, two guys who know optics way better than I do. Um, that's my tip, uh, and, and I say it jokingly, but that's my tip: is find somebody who knows more than you and learn from them. Uh, when you know, when I want to understand optics, these are the type of guys that I call um, guys who optics are their living. And so, um, find people who know more than you and just pull in all the information that you can. But, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, have a great week and any optics questions these guys are are readily available uh where can they find you at darren
0: uh rentoutdoorgear.com uh, is our website and then you can always email us at info at rentoutdoorgear.com or um i think there's a chat option on there we're also on facebook and instagram so you can look us up at Gear. their
1: uh their new tagline i just came up with it for them is information's free but renting will cost you <laughs> no for real though guys even if you're not going to rent any optics but you're in the market and you've got questions uh this is a phenomenal resource to use uh andrew social media they can message you find you on there
2: yep instagram facebook uh also go check out outdoor life's archives of optics tests over the years
1: absolutely
2: you know one of the things we do we test new for the year optics with our big annual test but you can go back in time and see how optics that are still on the market performed when they were brand new. Um, and we're doing more digital content now that's really testing all of the optics that are on the market against each other. So it's a pretty good way to evaluate uh, gear because we test it in the same way you use it. We're all hunters and we uh, we take it outside and give it our give it our best critique.
1: And you test it in depth.
2: Yeah, it's a. Uh, when we get started on it it's a it's a couple months uh long process it takes some time
1: yeah um gentlemen thank you so much for coming on guys thank you for listening y'all have a great week
2: okay thanks for having us
0: thanks dylan appreciate it